Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio, with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? I'm not too bad, thank you. Eagerly awaiting our first game, sorry, first win of the season, but uh, hopefully it's this one, hey? Yes, hopefully we do not have to wait much longer for victory in this Premier League season because this weekend, well, on a Monday night, Liverpool will face Manchester United, who are, well, let's be fair, they're a laughing stock. But before we get to them, we should look at news that came out yesterday and then news that came out to sort of contradict the original news. So Florian Plettenberg, who is a very highly respected German journalist, at Plettigol on the Twitter machine, he tweets out at whatever time this was last night, or 6.20pm, exclusive Naby Keita, he is unhappy with his current situation in Liverpool. There were talks about a contract extension but they have now stopped. His departure is possible regardless of Thiago and Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, but early stage. Talks will take place. Then Neil Jones came out on Goal.com and said that Naby Keita will not be leaving, that the club still plan to offer him a four-year contract, that when he's fit and in form, Klopp views him as part of his best 11, uh, to which Mr. Plettenberg responded to a couple of messages and just said, wait and see. So, um, first of all, what's your thoughts on this? Naby being unhappy, I don't think that can be a surprise, Carol. Uh, I mean, there's quite a few things he couldn't be happy with, to be honest. One is obviously his own 
availability over the time he's been at Anfield. No, no footballer would be happy with that. Um, there was no real reason to suspect it would turn out that way, and obviously it has. So that's that's not a good thing. Uh, last season was an improvement in that regard, certainly in the second half of the season, uh, and his continual involvement when he was fitter was an improvement, but it was still having to be really managed. It was like one game in, one game coming off the bench, and one game back in, that sort of thing. So it still feels very, very... Um, it's, it's not free. It's not as uh, relentless as, as probably our starting midfielder needs to be. Um, obviously, he was really good mates with Sadio Mane. I don't know how much a single departure would really affect one player in the dressing room, but obviously we don't know who else he was close with, and perhaps over the last couple of years there's been a couple of... Taki. Um, yeah. He's very close friends with Taki Minamino. Yeah, so maybe there's an element of that. Maybe there's an element of he just wants a, a, you know, a fresh start, as they say, and thinks that maybe it'd be a bit better there or he maybe doesn't like the Premier League. Maybe he wants back to the Bundesliga, such as the rumours are. Uh, it's really hard to judge that kind of thing, but I, I don't think that actually anybody involved would be fully happy with how it's turned out with Cater. He's capable of so much more. We would have expected so much more. He would have expected so much more. Um, I mean, I, I know he's like probably one of the most divisive players in the squad, but I don't think that there are many in our squad who give us what he does when he is available. But, as is always, the bigger issue is having the player who is available all the time because it's kind of pointless having you know, the best number nine in the world if you only have them for eight games a season, isn't it? So I wouldn't be surprised if he left. I wouldn't be happy if he left. I... I'm still in two minds, to be perfectly honest, about an extension, whether that would be the right thing to do or not. Because while you have, obviously, the the need to protect your, your assets and not lose them on free transfers whenever possible, that sort of thing. One, we've shown we can cope with that. You know, the odd free transfer departures, it's not the end of the world. We've done it with Genie, we've done it with Emery Chan. We'll probably now do it with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain as well. Losing two in the same position in the same summer on a free would be a, a little bit more difficult to take, I think, because you have to replace them. And uh, the other side of that equation is, let's say, the Nat Phillips principle, where you give them a new contract to protect the valuation of them, but then if you don't sell them, you're not really protecting anything. You are actually expending more. So mm. it's it's a very, very difficult balancing act. I'm not really sure what the market would be like for Cater, to be perfectly honest. I don't think there would be a huge rush of clubs this summer. So if it's Leipzig and they want him back, that's... That's a pretty special case, to be honest. I don't think that that means there would be another three or four clubs maybe pushing the price a bit higher. Well, there has been rumours over the last year or so that Monaco would very much like him, that Dortmund would like him, and obviously Leipzig have been mentioned. So I think there'll be a market for him. I just don't think it'll be a huge market, and I don't think there'd be anyone willing to give us a massive amount of money, especially considering his contract situation. And his contract situation is an odd one because when you see how good he is and when he's in form and he's playing well, I mean, there's it's a short list of midfielders in the league who are better than him. We only have two midfielders who are better than him in Fabinho and Thiago. The unfortunate part for us is that he and Thiago have such injury issues that 
together they basically make one player. And we can basically split a season across Naby starts and Thiago starts in that left-sided role. But that still leaves us starting a substandard player on the right-hand side. Now, to give him a contract, you're basically rewarding him. And, like, last season was good. He was fit more often. He played 40 times. He played largely very well. But the three previous seasons saw a lot of injuries and inconsistencies that were down to the injuries where, you know, he'd get fit, he'd come back, he'd have to feel his way back into the team. And then as he started to find form, another injury would strike or he'd go off with with, uh, Guinea and he'd get injured with them. This is all the fault of Ivan Rakitic, by the way, because Naby had never had really serious muscular problems until that horrendous tackle by Rakitic at the Nou Camp in Naby's first season. Now, the flip side of this is, if you're Naby Keita's agent, I don't think there's a shot in hell you're allowing him to sign a new contract with Liverpool after watching Jurgen Klopp pick inferior players over him time and again when he's been fit. Monday night, he was fit, didn't even get on the pitch. James Milner, 36 years of age, can't play anymore, but he's in the team. Champions League final. Jordan Henderson was garbage all the last season. He gets picked. Now, I know he's the captain, but if your team has been picked on merit, Naby should have been in the team. So you're probably having that discussion with him as well. Now, the problem we have, Carlos, is that we need two midfielders as things stand. Because Milner's not good enough and Oxlade-Chamberlain isn't good enough. And when you really dig into it, we have three midfielders who are good enough, one who will be good enough in Harvey, but is 19. One that's a question mark in Curtis Jones. And after that, I don't want to see the others play. So we could do with two midfielders in the door, a backup for Fabinho and a starting right-sided player. If Naby leaves, now we need three. And next summer, we could be looking at Naby leaving for free, Ox leaving for free, and Milner leaving for free. And no money coming in to replace them. So, it's just, it's poor squad management. And our midfield has been overlooked for years now. It hasn't been maintained at the same level as the attack and the defence. And I get people try and shoehorn Fabio Carvalho into the midfield group. The kids never played in midfield. He didn't play in midfield for Fulham. Fulham played 4-2-3-1. He played as the 10. And he played more as a second striker than a traditional 10. Or he played left wing. So I look at this and I think, would I give him a contract in an ideal world? Probably not. Probably not. Because you'd worry about those injuries as he gets older. Because the lad is already 27. He'll be 28 in February. And I just don't see him becoming a robust midfielder moving forward. Now, again, you can make the argument, well, we'll just rotate him and Thiago. And that's at least one spot in the midfield locked down. But again, he might not be happy with that. Thiago might not be happy with it. 
And it still doesn't solve our problems on the other side. But ideally, I think we would have been looking to sell him this summer. But I don't think we can afford to sell him now. Because if we sell him now, the chances of us finding a superior midfielder to Naby at this point in the window is quite low. Unless we already have somebody that we're looking at. And we still aren't fixing the issue with our midfield, which is the other side. So it's a quite a, di- a difficult situation for Klopp to to manage if if it's true that Naby's unhappy. Now, I don't think he's going to be the type that will cause any trouble or he won't strop or anything like that. But like we are going to have to find at least two, but ideally three midfielders now next summer with no money to replace, no money coming in from the three who'll be leaving. I do think that, I mean, you're absolutely right in what you say, obviously, certainly in terms of numbers, unless no, you can't even, you can't even expect like a, a young player to come through and fill the, the spot of even a Milner, to be honest, because he plays a fair amount and he obviously has other roles within the squad as well. I do think, though, that we could probably get in at least one next season on a free ourselves, even if that's not an absolutely fantastic starter one. You can certainly replace, let's say, at least at an Oxlade Chamberlain level, if not a bit higher than that, with some of the players who are on a free transfer next summer. Um, so I do think that that's something we absolutely must look at if we are going to lose all three of them on a free. Um, I mean, there's people at the minute like, I think Soler is on a free. Your Tielemans, obviously, we've spoken about before. I don't think Tielemans is first 11 anymore but could he come in and play this similar sort of role as a, a Milner or something like that and Oxley Chamberlain of course he could absolutely yeah Thomas Lamar is on a free next summer yeah you take him and plenty of others um, to be honest. I, th- I think still people like even Den Donk and Malinovsky people like that you know they're, they're, they're never going to be first choice for Liverpool but could they do one of the jobs in the squad that we might lose absolutely and there's plenty of other options there as well um so I do think that we'd be able to, and maybe we'll have to, replace one like that. And then if you were signing your first choice, who was ridiculously reliable, consistent, very, very good, obviously, uh, maybe you could get away with the numbers change. And then if you had different numbers elsewhere as well, you know, if we, if there is later on this season a bit more of an emphasis on playing a double pivot in-game, even if we don't line up like that, even if the graphics still say 4-3-3. We know we saw last season that it was much more of a shift towards in mm. possession, a little bit more of a two. So if there's if that kind of evolution continues, then maybe you can rebalance one and say Carvalho does count for that group because he might start a bit further forward and you know all that kind of thing. And maybe one of the other forwards gets added that we've been linked with and they can also... Let's take Gabby, for example. It's an extreme example because he's so fucking good and I still think he'll end up signing a contract with Barcelona who knows but if he was to come in and be part of the midfield group so to speak that guy plays all the way along the front line as well he also plays as number 10 he can play whichever role you want him to really so it doesn't necessarily matter about which group you specifically locate them in as long as they can all fill those tactical roles once we're in the team and all the rest of it so there's an element of flexibility but if we are losing like we say, three maybe, without bringing in any funds for them. I do think that we'll probably have to look on the uh, the free transfer list, let's say, for at least one replacement, and then you can go big on the other one. Because we do seem to be able to still spend a significant amount of money on one player who we absolutely want. 
it's still got to come from somewhere, but probably that's the way to balance it out. Yeah, there are good players on the um, on the free transfer list for next summer as things stand. Um, Mohamed Dahoud, he could easily come in and replace Milner. Um, he'd be a significant upgrade on Milner. Uh, Hugo Gillemon, we've spoken about him before from Valencia. You could bring him in. Only 22. Get, bring him in, get three good years out of him, and then sell him, sell him on when um, that young kid... Uh, the young kid who played in preseason, whose name has gone out of my head. Oh, he just signed a new contract. That's, okay. that's him. Yes, that's him. He could step into the team uh, or into the squad maybe in two to three years and be, be ready to contribute in a proper role. Conrad Lamar, he's out of contract next summer. Uh, Dan Donker, as Carl mentioned. Douglas Louise from Villa. I wouldn't be against signing him as a, as a depth eight. Carlos Soler, Carl mentioned as well. I think he's outstanding. I think he's absolutely outstanding. Thomas Lamar, uh, Fabian Ruiz, but it looks like he's about to join Paris Saint-Germain, Yuri Tielemans, and Gavi is out of contract. But I think if we're going to, if, 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 if there was a chance for us to get Gavi, it would be now, not any time in the future, because I don't think Barcelona will allow him to go into the season without signing that contract. Now, it's agreed, apparently, but nothing has been signed yet. He's apparently got the hump over a couple of things. There's been reports, Carl, that his buyout clause doubled at a certain point in the summer to somewhere in the region of €100 from the €50 it was before. Do you know much about that? No, but if you give me a minute, I will have a look because it's publicly available, so you cannot pretend. Because you know, we we won't pay a hundred million for him. But if it came down to the last week of this window, and Barca were staring at a situation where they could either take I don't know fifty or sixty million pounds for him now, or get a minimal fee from next summer when all they'd be entitled to really is training compensation. I wonder would Barcelona be open to a sale? I mean, Because it's all gone very strange on his contract situation. Like it was agreed, what, six weeks ago? It was meant to be signed on his 18th birthday. He turned 18 a couple of weeks ago. And it's been radio silence. Yeah, so the clause in his contract activated in year three. So since we're now technically into that, yes, it's now 100 million euro. Um, so that was uh, just part of the original contract he signed. It was fifty million for the first two years, and then raised for a hundred million for this season. So irrelevant, really, because nobody actually pays the the buyout clauses, obviously, unless you're dealing with like Athletic Club or something like that. But for Gavi, it, it seems to be that the the Spanish media were basically saying that he was unhappy that they might go and sign someone like Bernardo Silva, who was a bit more mm. of his role of his type. Um, so if that kind of a deal was made, then he would see that as potentially blocking his, his route um, to, to regular game time. <clears throat> I mean, personally, I don't think that there should be too many doubts about Gavi being a, a regular for Barcelona, especially with people like Pedri coming into the team as well. Both of them started the opening weekend. Um, but there's still like talk about Pjanic, for example, getting back into the starting lineup at the moment. 
Um, Frankie Nelson obviously has to play yeah, yeah. for a couple of years. Uh, I know, but it is pretty ridiculous. But that's in the situation that they are. He's another one. Obviously, they've been trying to either reduce wages of or offload, and it's just an absolute farce. Uh, the Pjanic, the, the whole deal, the transfer, that everything about that Miran Pjanic move to Barcelona was an absolute joke. So at the moment, it might be that they have to try and reintegrate him into the team. Um, Sergio Busquets again, he doesn't really have a direct replacement for him. Um, they loaned out a couple of people who perhaps could have done the job or started to do it last season a bit, but need more game time, obviously. And maybe they see Pjanic as still maybe the one who could do that if they absolutely need him to. Because, again, he's done a fairly passable impression of an oak tree in the opening game of the season. So, uh, technically, superb. Mobility, less so, is increasingly the uh, watchwords for, for Busquets at the moment. Um, Gavi... I mean, I still, to be honest, struggle to think that they will, even Barcelona will let him go. I mean, for all the issues that they've had in terms of registering players and trying to negotiate down contracts and all the rest of it, you you just can't allow someone like that to leave. You just can't. They they won't let that happen, I don't think. There does seem to be a fascination of Barcelona and Bernardo Silva because it ran and ran last summer. It's ran all of this summer, and the truth of it is that next summer it's going to pick up again. So even if he does agree to stay another year at City, which seems to be the case, I I think come next summer he's probably going to be in a position where he will force his way out. And look, he's an incredible player, but the truth of it is for City that City are never quite as good when it's De Bruyne and Bernardo as they are when it's one of them and Gundogan. Those two both play a little bit better when it's Il- when it's Rodri and Ilke Gundogan with them because they just set a better platform for them to go and play off. So Bernardo might look at that and just think, you know, this is great and all, but I, I don't play as well with Kevin as I do with Ilke and Kevin's going to get in the team ahead of me. So... Maybe that's where his logic will be. And come next summer, he'll only have two years left in his deal. And City might just think, okay, well, now it's time to cash in. Um, Look, the the Naby thing is going to run and run. We can only keep an eye on it for the next couple of weeks and see what happens. I thought it was interesting that Neil Jones came out so quickly with his story. Uh, I thought the line about Klopp viewing him as part of his best eleven was both interesting and amusing because, well, Jürgen hasn't really shown that that's the case. Uh, What we do need from Naby, though, is we need a big performance on Monday night because we are playing Manchester United, who are... I don't even know how to describe them, Carl. Uh, It's just so bad, it's almost funny, but at the same time... It's kind of gone beyond funny, and there's almost a feeling of pity for how bad they are. But all of it is of their own making. And I'm enjoying seeing some of their fans suffer after how excited they were when they beat us 4-0 in preseason. Yeah, I couldn't see that coming at all, could you? Um Oh, no, no. When they beat us 4-0, I, I thought they were going to win the league. That's That was my immediate thought. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many times every single fan of every single club needs to be 
conned, disappointed, humiliated, and or any other word by pre-season results and performances, we will never learn as a collective footballing community, clearly. Um, but even so, by, by any stretch of the imagination, even, I would say, watching the game, how you would think that United were going to have a better season than Liverpool, I don't know. Because, yeah, scoreline was ridiculous. But the actual match was like still almost as one-sided as it gets. They just happened to score every time they went forward, basically. Um, oh, I suppose since we're on cater anyway, we should start with our team and do it in reverse to how we normally do. Because United are, like you say, almost an indescribable mess at the moment. And I do think that we should spend quite a bit on, at the very least, their last outing. But let's do it in reverse and go through what we want first. Because I think mm. I think for this game, maybe more than any other recently, we have to go by what's available for Liverpool and what we think we need to do slightly differently from the last couple of games. Because no more margin for error here. You can't go three games into the season and be drawing all of them. My head may actually explode then. Um, let's get this right, basically. It has to be the starting point. So, Alison in goal, over to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, the the defence has to be, has to be Trent, Joe, Virgil. Ah, it has see. to be Trent. I think Look, Eddie Romo still starts because I don't think Costas did anything at all when he came on the other day. He, I, I, no, I think he did something, Carl. Oh, well, yeah, I so think what he did was he had an enormous crap on the pitch. Um, for a player whose crossing is normally one of his strong points, his crossing was an absolute abomination when he came on. He couldn't really complete a pass and he just didn't look right at all. So, yeah, I think Andy Robertson does stay in, even though his form is a little bit concerning as well. So, that's the back four then. Trent, Joe, Virgil, and Andy Robertson. Uh, It's a strong defence. It's absolutely a strong defence. It's the defence that won us a league title. So, it's something we can have a lot of faith in. Let's pick the attack next because it's all of a sudden very interesting because Jota's uh, injured. Darwin is suspended. <clears throat> Bobby might be fit, but Bobby looked awful against Fulham. And I don't know that I want to go to Old Trafford with Bobby starting, coming back off an injury. But then I don't know that there's another option. I, I've seen some people suggest playing Carvalho as the false nine. Again, it's just not something that I see Klopp doing. Could he play Carvalho on the right of the front three? That's possible. He could play Harvey Elliott on the front on the right of the front three as well. Salah will start, Diaz will start, but I have to say I'm completely stumped as to what the third one will be. Right. I think it'll be Firmino if he's fit. Obviously, we're still a few days out from that, so we'll see how that goes. But if he's available, let's say, I think Firmino starts, even if that's just a 60 minutes. But if he's not, I think Diaz starts up front. Carvalho on the left. Diaz through the middle, Carvalho on the left. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be against it. It's not ideal, but I wouldn't be against it. I think that there's, obviously, the, the first... Uh, Thought, I think, is probably what you said, put Salah through the middle and Diaz right, because we did see Diaz do a couple of games mm. out on the right wing last season, but more often we actually saw him in-game go centre-forward. 
And there was obviously quite a bit of rotation between him and Mane at the time. A couple of times when Jota was there and he would push left as instead. But later in games especially, we saw Diaz be left as the furthest forward player. Um, obviously very, very explosive, really good ball carrier, that kind of thing. So I wouldn't be surprised if we started with him there. Leave Salah right-hand side. And again, you've still got lots and lots of flexibility to change that around. Um, depending on who we pick in midfield in a minute. But for me... First choice midfielder right now on form is Harvey Elliott. So I'm going to continue this rotation theme by bringing him into the mix as well. If the three, as I've mentioned, Carvalho, Diaz, Salah isn't quite working, you've got a lot of options to switch them around. Diaz to the right, Diaz to the left, Salah in the middle, Harvey Elliott to the right and Carvalho back into the midfield uh, three. If you really want him to, like you've said before, we've not seen him there in, I'm going to say, a um, meaningful pattern of match, because I know he went there for a little bit the other day, but it was not really in that role. We were pretty split across that midfield four to a front two or three at times, so uh, I don't really see too many other options, to be honest. I don't see any of the younger players are going to suddenly come into the to the lineup, and I don't see a formation change either. No, I don't see a formation change. I've seen a few people suggest that Klopp might go four two three one. Um, that's all well and good, but with, with who? I mean, I suppose you could play Harvey Wright, Carvalho as the ten, Diaz off the left, and Mo through the middle. And I wouldn't be against seeing that. I, I think that could be very, very in- interesting and quite exciting. But I just don't see him doing that. It's a lot of players playing in new positions. And it's a new shape. So I think you're right. I think I, I think Diaz to the middle is probably the way he'll go. Salah off one wing and Carvalho off the other. If Bobby's not ready. If Bobby is fit, yeah, Bobby will start. It'll be Bobby through the middle with Salah one side and Carvalho the other. Or and Diaz the other. In midfield, Harvey Elliott has to start. I think off the back of that performance against Palace, I think he has to start. I think it'd be incredibly unfair to drop him after that performance. So Harvey goes right side. Naby has to play left side, in my view. I don't think there's another option. Milner can't play that role. He just can't. He's not good enough. He doesn't have the legs either. Have you seen where he was for their goal? I mean, we know what we're going to get with Milner, don't we? It's going to be... Mixed. Like, it's not that he played badly or anything. I'm not saying no, he, like, think, he was he, he was fine. fine. He was fine. He was six out of ten. But that's not good enough. Like, okay is not good enough in this team anymore. This team is well beyond the level where okay performances are acceptable. And James Milner was in their penalty box, almost the furthest man forward, maybe even the furthest man forward, when they turned us round. And started to counterattack. Now, I said this to somebody the other day. If that's Ginny Wijnaldum playing the left-sided role, Ginny Wijnaldum is behind Fabinho when he goes to challenge Eze. And when Eze beats Fabinho, he's now faced up with Ginny. With his passing lane to Zaha blocked. So he has to try and beat him or he has to try and play it round him. 
What Milner just doesn't there, offer that type of intelligence or that type of positioning or that type of just defensive awareness because it's not Milner's it's not Milner's game to do that. That's just not something he does. I, w- I would say though that I think it was probably uh, like right from kickoff you saw that normally we would have that left hand sided player would be the little bit more reserved one would sit in, but I do think that right from kickoff. You could see that both number eights were making a huge, huge effort to get into the box an awful lot more. And we were so, so dominant in that first half that both eights were trying to be involved in that build-up play and pressing really high upfield in trying to make the extra person in the box so that we could take the lead. So I do think that there was an element of probably slightly overdoing it in that regard. I don't think that Milner would normally have been that high up from that role. Like Thiago wouldn't have been in the box if he was in that role no, for any Thiago- reason whatsoever. But the, the, yeah, the, the angle is it is more naturally like James Milner is just not a central midfielder. He he has never been a central midfielder. James Milner is a winger who never had any pace but could run up and down a lot, and he worked his way into this utility role. But asking him to play the most nuanced position in our team is just outside the the remit of what he can do now. We have two lads that can play that role at a high level, Thiago and Naby, because we allowed Ginny to leave for free. But, like, we never got counterattacked against when Ginny was in the team, ever, because he just stopped them. He'd block off passing lanes. He'd cover for Fab. When Henderson was the six, he'd be in there holding his hand. Like, look how much more frequently we get countered now than we ever did when Wijnaldum was in the team. So when people ask, well, what did he do? Well, that's what he did. He stopped us getting countered. He enabled our counterattacks by being a good conduit between the defense and Sadio. And he was the ultimate release valve where if somebody found themselves trapped into a corner, they could always find him with an outball. And he'd hold on to it. When we were trying to relieve pressure defensively, you could always give it to him and he'd hold on to it and let us step out. That's what Ginny did, and that's what we miss in this team. Like, our midfield has never looked better under Klopp than it did with Thiago, Fabinho, and Ginny as a three. They were brilliant together, and the understanding was perfect. But you take Ginny out, and all of a sudden you end up with James Milner charging into a penalty box for a ball he's never going to get near. But regardless, I think Naby has to play on Monday night. I think Naby has to be the left side of eight. So you're going... Harvey and Naby. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm going Harvey and Naby. What would your thoughts be on who plays that left-sided role? Yeah, same ones, assuming that Cater is actually sharp and you know is not just like finishing off his preseason, so to speak. Because obviously he was ill for a little bit and missed out the last what two weeks or something like that. Um, but assuming everything is fine in terms of sharpness and touch and all the rest of it, yeah, he'd be in as well. I I do often struggle to say cater straight back into the 11 when I've not seen him play because he is someone who sometimes takes a few games, a few sub-appearances, build himself back up. Mm. But at the moment, there is not another clear shout because of injuries and form elsewhere. Yeah, because the, the other one that you would somewhat trust to play that position is Curtis Jones. Because Curtis will work to direction. Now, it's it can be clunky. It's not always what you'd want there. But Curtis can do a job as the left-sided eight. Better than Milner, better than Henderson. He just finds himself very awkward when he plays in the left. But Curtis is out as well. So Naby is the only one fit. 
of the three that we can trust in that position. Um, and that then leads us on to the number six position, Carl, where I don't know about you. I thought on Monday that Fabinho played well. He got caught for the goal. He overcommitted when trying to make a tackle on Eze. He got beaten in a one-on-one by one of the best one-on-one players in the league. But that moment, that three seconds where Eze dropped a shoulder and went round him and kind of ran through Fab's trailing leg as he tried to trip him, that seems to have coloured a lot of people's opinion on how Fabinho played. But I thought he played well. Passing was crisp. He was aggressive. He was going and getting us the ball back. And he was left all alone in that midfield. And bar that one counter, they didn't really manage much until we were down to 10 men. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't think that the mid... I, I think the whole performance was, in general, okay for Liverpool. Okay to slightly good, like, you know, better than average. Um, I think the midfield, considering it was really, really second stringy looking, was actually very good. Um, they did get past us a couple of times, but again, I attribute that to mostly overcommitting, to really putting ourselves on the front foot while we were in that first half spell of dominance. I mean, I know when you go in 1-0 down, people think it's a bad half, and when you don't win the match at home to Crystal Palace, people think you've played badly, but we didn't. We played quite well. We missed quite a few chances. That's one problem. Um in general, though, I think the balance, considering it was not a regular three, was pretty good. We were really, really aggressive in winning the ball back outside their box. They must have had about, I'm not sure, maybe 10, 12 minutes, something like that, where they just couldn't leave the edge of their own box in possession. There was maybe one pass, and then we'd win it back, and that was it. But when you are so, so aggressive, when you're so much on the front foot like that, I mean, even look at the position where Fabinho lost the tackle, it was at least 10, 15 yards further up the pitch than you would normally expect that to be taking place. It was really, really high and aggressive. So once you miss out on that, you are obviously suddenly in a lot more uh, danger than you normally would be. And we know that that can be the case with Liverpool anyway. We play really high defensive line. We leave it two versus one or two versus two at times. And we accept that risk because it makes us more adventurous and dynamic and more likely to, to force turnovers in dangerous areas. But that said... I do think that Fabinho missed more challenges and not just tackles, like, but more 1v1s than he would normally do. I think that their quick exchanges of pass and caused us a few troubles in the second half as well when I think our tempo dropped overall, not just Fabinho. Um, And I I think his passing was okay, but it wasn't as as progressive as it usually is, to be honest. Like, it wasn't like inaccurate, he wasn't wildly booting it out of play, and there was no. Uh, first time hoiks in 60 yards into the air as there was after we made a couple of midfield substitutions mm-hmm. but it was not progressive passing from him there were there, uh, you know we know Fabinho when he's on his game can split a defense even if there's a line of four and a line of five in front of him he can find the way through there wasn't really anything of that which in itself is not a big issue because as I said we had two much more adventurous uh, number eights we had Harvey Elliott with a lot of combination play so it doesn't need to all be on Fabinho I don't think he was bad I don't think he was great but it was a big improvement on Fulham on the opening weekend and also the overall midfield performance and contribution is a lot more important than any single individual and overall I, again I thought it was good that was a performance that Liverpool put in there to win 2-1 that that overall performance that we did was a victory 
inducing performance, except we didn't score twice and we got someone sent off. That's what it is. That's that's football. That's what that's what makes it weird and stupid and annoying and really really good. That's just what happens. I'm afraid. I thought that game was crying out for Naby. To be honest, like like I said, Milner was fine. He didn't do anything wrong, but he didn't do anything that actually helped us try and win the game either. Yeah, like I, his I, passing honest, was poor. The, he doesn't offer I didn't say about the midfielders, and I said that Milner's performance was. Okay, perfectly fine. Nothing particularly wrong with it. Not a performance to lose the game, not a performance to win the game. He was doing a very standard version of our second midfielder's role. That's what he was. Yeah, and like I say, if we had a good player there, I think we win that game. I actually think we win the game quite comfortably. Um, but just on, on their goal, because there's this, this rhetoric going round that it was Virgil's fault um, because he slowed down. Can I explain the laws of physics to some people quickly for a second? He had to decelerate because he was after sprinting back to cover for Nat Phillips's mistake because Nat didn't bother his arse to sprint back. He was too busy waving his arms around at the linesman. Uh, also, Trent, who was... Just behind Eze, when he went past Fabinho, made no effort to get back at him either. Um, The reason Virgil had to decelerate is because if he continued to sprint the way he was, he would have had to commit to a challenge, which would have allowed Wilf Zaha, who's one of the best one-on-one players in the league, just like his mate Eze, to chop back inside of him and get a much better angle for his shot or to draw a foul and potentially win a penalty. And Virgil had just given away a penalty a week before, which is probably playing in his mind. But I think what he's done is he's just narrowed his angle and said, I'm going to back the keeper here. I'm going to back Ali from this angle. And it's a great finish by Zaha. I just really don't understand how there's this line of thought that this is Virgil's fault, because what he did is exactly what you would want your centre-back to do. To pressure him, but not commit to a challenge. Now, could he have lunged and tried to block the shot? Yeah, maybe he could have. Maybe he could have. But the idea that him slowing down was the wrong thing to do is quite simply stupid. He had to slow down, or he would have either A, run straight past him, or B, been beaten and given Zaha a much easier chance. Um, right, that's enough on us. So we're we're in agreement then. Ali, Trent, Joe, uh, Virgil, Robbo, Harvey, Fab, Nabi, Salah, Bobby, if fit, Diaz. If not, Diaz, Carvalho. Yeah, uh, I'm in agreement that's what it should be, but you're going to have to give me some um, Henderson talk, even if it's just a minute. What's the case for it and against it? I know the case against it. You don't need to give me the case against it. What's the case for it? Is there a case for it, though? No, 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 but take one. He's the captain. That's the only case for it, though. That's the only case is he's the captain. But it's the most meaningless argument I've ever heard because him wearing a piece of cloth around his arm doesn't make him a better player. It doesn't change his form. It doesn't improve him in any way, shape, or form. It's just a cop-out. And if Klopp picks him, it's a cop-out. 
just like him coming out after the game and saying, oh, he had a bit of a knock. Bullshit. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Because if he did, we would have known before the game. Because it would have been very quickly relayed before the game. Oh, the captain isn't dropped. He, he's injured. He's got, he's got a knock. We knew Joe Gomez had a knock. Henderson was dropped for Palace. And then Klopp tried to walk it back after the game. But he wasn't injured. He was fine. You could see when he came on, he was fine. There's nothing wrong with him at all. The only case to play him is that he's the captain and it would be a cop-out to pick him because he doesn't deserve to be in the team. He's not good enough as a right-sided eight. He's fine as a six against certain opposition. And United, to be fair, are one of those certain opposition because they are garbage. So you could make the argument that, you know, look, we give Fabinho a rest, even though he's just had a week to rest. Um, and th- that's that's it. We give Fabinho a rest and we, we play Henderson. But you are weakening the midfield by doing that, no matter what way you look at it. Right. Let's move on to United. And um, just because we've had a, a request in the, uh, in the live show chat recording group, um, Elon Musk... Uh, I'm going to run through this in about 30 seconds. If anybody hasn't seen, Elon Musk tweeted, oh, by the way, I'm buying Man United earlier in the week, and people lost their shit over it, despite it obviously not being anything at all. And he did follow that up later on and said, it's a joke, it's an on-running thing. So basically what this is, is any time Elon Musk, which is quite often, says something of any you know nonsensical variety about spending an extortionate amount of money, he gets a load of Man United fans saying, please buy Man United because they hate their owners. And uh, so he was basically responding to that in a jokey term. And then he did follow that up again afterwards just to keep people on the toes, obviously, by saying, although if I was to buy any sports team, it would be there. Yeah, that's basically what happened. People got all excited at, I think it was about two in the morning, and it was all nonsense. And the BBC, because this is what the BBC do, ran a story on it without mentioning the secondary tweet about him saying it was a joke. Um, your colleague who is, you know, causing you to become very haphazard with your timekeeping, Miguel Delaney, uh, he had a story yesterday that United, that, that there are multiple groups interested in purchasing Manchester United. Uh, one of them is Jim Ratcliffe, Britain's richest man. Um, some other spoofer, Tom something. Then tried to make out, out like he was sort of sitting in a room with people who were discussing this going on. And then a story came out that the Glazers were potentially open to selling a minority share. And the collective of individuals they are allegedly, allegedly in negotiations with to sell a minority share. Well, if you think the Glazers are bad human beings, Manchester United fans, I have I have quite a lot to tell you about the people being mentioned. Um, Apollo is the name of the private equity firm. I would suggest just Google Leon Black, who is the founder of Apollo. Apollo Global is the name of the company. I would suggest just just Google Leon Black and have a look at some of the images that come up, who he's friends with, who he liked to spend his time with. 
and then read into some of the stories about what he did at the house of said now deceased friend. And uh, I think you will agree with me that this individual is absolutely horrible and not someone you should want at your club. On a slightly, well, no, it's not really unrelated note, um, but we'll continue talking about things which are uh, not as they should be, let's say. Jamaica United. Uh, it, it's it's a shambles, Carl. It's a shambles. It's a shambles from top to bottom, and it has been for a couple of years. Uh, I, I did go through their squad yesterday on, on two-footed, and the squad itself is not as bad as you would think. And I did talk about this on the last episode of um, Scouted, but you obviously had to had to dip out to go and, and view a house. Uh, but today we have a tweet from The Telegraph. Uh, Jason Burt is reporting that United have had encouragement on Casemiro, £75 million pounds and 400 grand a week in wages, uh, which would just be hilarious. Uh, they've been in contact over Sergei Milinkovic Savic, who you know I love. I can't think of a player they need less. Like, he can't play with Bruno. He can't play with Bruno. There's no, there's no midfield you can line up in which him and Bruno is going to work. He could play with Ericsson because he's played with Luis Alberto for a couple of years. He might be able to play with Donny, but he couldn't play with Bruno. So if you sign him, you're playing one of him or Bruno. Uh, they're in for Christian Pulisic on loan. They've made an inquiry about Aubameyang. And Thomas Mounier, who isn't very good, is their top right-back target. Now, they've been linked with Sergio Dest in recent days, but uh, Thomas Mounier seems to have leapt to the wanted list. Um, they they don't know what they're doing, Carl. They do not know what they're doing. There is no plan. There is no strategy. And honestly, this in in the modern day, with how people have been team building over the last decade, and even a little bit more than that, but certainly over the last half decade, especially, there is no excuse for what they're doing right now. They are jumping from one player to the other just because that's their position. There is no, nothing at all which links any of these players that they're going for in the same positions. Nothing. Nothing at all. No. Um, I don't care. Go for it. That's all I can tell them. That's all I can say. Go ahead and sign these players on hundreds and hundreds of thousands a week mm. and uh, see see how it gets you in the next few years. Um, they are bottom of the league when we take them on. It's only two yes. games, so it doesn't really count. Except, in this case, the table absolutely reflects how bad they've been. Honestly, that performance against Brentford was so pathetic. I couldn't believe it. Mm. Uh, honestly, it was. It looked like Branyuk had just been appointed the day before, and this is what he's inherited. But it's not. He's now been there all of pre-season. All of pre-season. They've had yeah. the transfer window since, in fact, not even the transfer window, because they could have arranged stuff at any point they wanted. Since his final game with Ajax, the next day... April, Carl. April the they appointed day, him. He was there. He was there. He was supposed to have two weeks off after the final uh, match with Ajax, and he went to United the very next day. So they exactly. had since then to arrange either transfers or the system that they wanted to implement or whatever. So 
It's a joke. It's a joke. Like, yeah, I, that I 25 minutes that. between the first goal and the fourth goal, that's about as bad as you'll ever see any Premier League team play. And I mean any Premier League team. Go, go drag out the, the Derby team, the Sunderland team, the Sheffield United team that everybody pointed and laughed at as they're the worst Premier League teams in history. You're not going to find 25 minutes as bad as that. And what really emphasised how far they have to go to not become a good team, but just to become a competitive team, is that by the end of that first half, their players looked completely dejected and were walking around the pitch in a daze. And in the 93rd minute, Brentford were still pressing the goalkeeper. They were swarming in midfield. They were rushing forward and then rushing back. Like, every time Brentford had a set piece in the 80th and onwards minute, they were committing bodies forward. And then if, say, De Gea managed to catch a cross, one player was running up and getting in his way so he couldn't get a quick throw or a quick kick. And all the rest of them were sprinting back, not just into position, into a deep block. And United never once did I see any level of commitment, any level of cohesion, any level that this is a group of professional footballers that have been coached. This looked like United had had a COVID outbreak and it had to pick like some of the staff from the training ground. Like the fella that mows the grass was there. The lad who lines the pitches out. The fella who checks your passes on the way in at the security hut. This looked like, like in fairness, Harry Maguire could easily pass for the fella who checked your pass on the way into the training ground. This is what that looked. It didn't look like a group of professional football players. There was no pride at all in their performance. No desire to fight back. Cristiano tried to get them going when it was one, tried to get them going when it was two. And at the third goal, he was throwing his arms up in the air. He was having a big sulk and storming up the pitch to fucking tantrum himself. And the captain is stood looking completely gormless and completely lost. The five foot three centre back next to him just looked baffled by what was going on. The goalkeeper, who's on an absolute fortune, looked hapless. It just, it was a shambles. And Eric Ten Hag is in part to blame. Now, I know he inherited this shit show, but, you know, he's, like you said, he's had since before preseason. He got the job in April. He could have been planning from then. He should have told them, I need a director of football. I need someone in to help me with recruitment. Who you have is not good enough. If I'm coming, that's what I want. I want a recruitment specialist with me. And he didn't. And he's had all this time to get these players used to how he wants to play. And it doesn't work. You can't play a high line with Harry Maguire. You just can't. You can't play a high line with David De Gea. And then... When you decide to make changes at half time, you don't actually change anything. You just change the players. You don't change how you're playing. You bring on Varane from Maguire. Yes, it's an upgrade. 
And yes, he's he's more comfortable in the high line. Oh, sorry, they brought on Varane for, for Martinez. But then they left both centre-backs on the wrong side because Varane's best role is on the right and Slabhead is better on the left. But he left them the opposite way around. He brings on Malashia for Luke Shaw. That's not an improvement. And then he brings on McTominay for Fred. And it's still a one-man midfield. It's it, The first half was literally Fred in midfield, Eriksen flittering about, Bruno having a tantrum, and nothing else. The only mid, it, It's the only midfield that was more vacant than ours this week. It was an absolute horror show. And honestly, those subs baffled me. Like you say, they didn't change anything. They didn't change the setup. They didn't change any approach play at all. And ultimately, obviously, they didn't get them back into the game. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. My big, my big issue with them right at this moment is that I don't really know. I can see, obviously, that they're trying to play out from the back. Everybody can see that because it went so horribly wrong. So you can see what they're trying to do from that perspective. But what is different to what they were doing last year? Because they did try to play out of the back last year. It wasn't particularly good. It wasn't particularly quick. It wasn't particularly effective. But they did pass out from the back. There's no difference there to what happened last year. Just that it's it looks a little bit more deliberate now, maybe. But also it was highlighted because they got absolutely torn apart by doing it. That's literally how that result came about. So... um. I'm very, very surprised that he has gone so um, not defensive-minded through midfield, considering they've made no improvements or alterations there other than offload and Matic, who maybe, if he started, would be even worse than what they had, but not by too much and not really relevant. I don't understand trying to put um, Christian Eriksen as a six with Fred next to him. I mean, if you were really, really desperate to use Ericsson as a part of a double pivot, I think I'd have to have McTominay over over anybody. He's at least more of a sitter, a defensive troller. He's playing centre-back, that sort of thing. He's at least more... He's rangy. He can yeah, cover ground. And he, and he, he is a bit more ground. disciplined as well. He he is more mm. disciplined. He's, he's not best used in a disciplined manner, but he will. He has before sat there and literally sat there not using his best traits because he's been told to. So I do think that he would have been the better option if you were absolutely determined to have him and Ericsson. But I don't understand Ericsson and Fred whatsoever. Um, no, I'm done seeing Fred, The whole thing it? was a shambles, Carol. The yeah, whole thing was, was a shambles. It was such a mess. It really was. And like, it was. Just, just, just allow me to put you in the mind of Raphael Varane for one, one second. You're a four-time European Cup winner. You're a World Cup winner. You're one of the most highly regarded central defenders of your generation. Uh, you have been, without question, a great player. You may not be a great player anymore, but you're still a very good player. You're playing Brentford away in the second game of the season, and you're sat on the bench behind a fridge and a fellow who's 5'9". Like, what is going through his head as he's sitting there looking at that, watching them like just continually 40 yards apart? He's got to be sitting there thinking, what on earth is this? And then at halftime, it's like, right, get on there and save us. Oh, and by the way, you're going to play on the wrong side. Like, 
he, this is a guy who's worked for some of the best managers ever. You know, he's worked for Mourinho, he's worked for Ancelotti, he's worked for uh, for Zidane. He, he's got to be sitting there thinking, what the fuck is this? What am I doing here? You know what I'm wondering as well is, with all the talk of Casemiro, would he not be asking Varane, for example, Ronaldo? Maybe? Chris, the two lads he was with Imaria. for years. Of, of course well. he is. What, what's the club of like? Of course he is. What are they replying to that? Like, is it literally a case of, mate, this is an unbelievable shambles? Or would they literally be saying, do you know what? Ask them for 400 and we'll, you know, we'll have a laugh yeah. until the manager gets yeah. the boot and then maybe we'll do something. What, what, is the, what is the answer to that question? I'm not suggesting it's either one. But maybe the they tell them it's great. The options. Just, I don't, maybe I they go, don't listen. They might be sitting next to each other in the dressing room. One of them gets a text from him and he goes, look, Casemiro was after texting me. He wants to know what it's like here. And they're like, tell him it's brilliant. Tell him it's brilliant. Go on, go on. Tell him it's brilliant. So they tell him it's brilliant. He signs on. And then he's two weeks in the dressing room. And he comes to him and goes, you said it was brilliant. Yeah, good joke, wasn't it? <laughs> Enjoy your 450 grand a week, though. But, like, if you're any top player, any top player, and you're looking at that club, Bottom of the league. The place is a shambles. It's been a shambles since Ferguson left. You're looking at this Cristiano stories about how he's trying to force his way out. You're looking at the manager and thinking, well, okay, he won at Ajax, but like Frank De Boer was more successful at Ajax than this fella. So, you know, what's he all about? Maybe I'll meet him. I I saw... um, Delaney was on Off the Ball, uh, the Irish uh, radio show, and um, he was talking about sort of his first impressions of Eric Ten Hag. And he just said, like, one of the things that is really striking is he just doesn't seem like he's got any type of charisma to him. Like, he he doesn't really seem like the type that could inspire a team to go out. He he strikes me like, <clears throat> I don't know if you've been watching All or Nothing, but Arteta comes across as a complete personality void. And for every game, he's got some sort of gimmick that's very, very cringeworthy. And it's fine at Arsenal, where most of the squad are kids, and they're all a bit, you know, doe-eyed and, oh, we're professional footballers, this is great. But then the camera pans to Lacazette. And he's looking at this fella thinking, you are a fucking spoofer. This is nonsense. And he's the fella wearing the armband. And it's got to be the same in the United dressing room. I think Ten Hag is probably the same way. He's probably very uninspiring. He's got little gimmicky things for games. But your senior pros that have been around, the likes of Varane, the likes of Cristiano, they're looking at him and thinking, no, no, this is not for me. But put it this way. Cristiano trained. Now, I'm no fan of Cristiano, and I think he's. A, I think there's a lot of things you could you could uh, berate him for, but I mean, he's trained with him for what a week, and then he's gone. All right, I'm going back to Portugal now. Enjoy the rest of preseason, lads. Like, you can't tell me the two things aren't linked. You can't tell me that he didn't go in, experience that week of training, and just go. This is not. 
this is not it. This is I'm not spending my time doing this. Like he's apparently considering a move to Sporting, which you know Sporting are his first club and they're a, they're a huge club in Portugal. But I mean, he's not going to earn a fraction of the money he's on at United. But he's apparently so desperate to leave that he will go there. Eric Ten Hag has got to be at least part of the reason. I mean, let's say for Cristiano precisely, and let's stick with the, the, the official, oh, sorry, the unofficial line, is that he wants Champions League football, isn't it? Um, uh, at the moment, United don't look within two years of that. Mind next. No, they, like next year is already off the table as far as I'm concerned. And it was before the, a ball was kicked this season. We made our predictions. We neither of us put them in. I, don't, I think you put them outside the top six as well, didn't you? I did. I, I think, think I had them yeah. seventh. Yeah. yeah, both of us had them seventh. Um, that at the moment looks like it was overestimating them at the moment. Yeah, there's a long, long way to go, and lots can change. Blah blah blah. But at the moment, it's at least two years before they're yeah. looking to get back into the Champions League. And if the recruitment in the final couple of weeks of this window is the recruitment which is talked about at the moment, you can probably add another year to that. Oh, 100%. And the thing is, Carl, but a well-run club, when he turned round a month ago, or it's, it's longer, how long is it? It must be six weeks ago since Cristiano uh, went off to Portugal and the news came out that he, he wanted to leave. A well-run club is going, great, brilliant news. Let's get him gone. Let's find a new home for him as quickly as possible. Get him out because he's only going to be a distraction. He's on half a million a week and it's ludicrous. And he completely destabilized our dressing room last season. So let's get him gone. And let's focus on the future. And here we are, two games into the season, and he's back in the team. Now, like, for me, again, a sign of weakness from the manager. This guy went on strike. You can dress it up however you want. You can make all the excuses of, oh, he he had a family issue to deal with. No, he didn't. He went on strike. He went back to Portugal and extended his summer holidays while you and the rest of the squad had to go and slog your way around Asia and Australia. And second game of the season, he's starting. He'd never kick a ball. Imagine that at at Liverpool. He'd never kick a ball again. The day after he went back to Portugal, we'd, we'd have had somebody making phone calls to see who wants this fella. You can have him for free. We don't even want a fee. Just take him. It'd be the same at any well-run club. Aubameyang did far less at Arsenal and they kicked him out the door. He was the captain and they booted him out the door. Like, it just wouldn't happen with us. It wouldn't happen at City. It wouldn't happen under Tuchel or Conte. It wouldn't happen, like, it it wouldn't happen at any well-run club. But here we are, two weeks in, and he's back in the team. And that's after the complete disrespect he showed to the manager in the preseason game that he played, and then again last weekend after the Brighton game. And yet this guy's picking him. Is he afraid of him? I, it's it's such a strange situation. The whole thing is a mess. And uh, when you get a chance, do go back and listen to the last ten minutes of yesterday's scouted, 
because I, I thought I made some good points about same thing as you. This can't be, you know, we're going to get in the Champions League this season. We're going to be a title challenger next season because that isn't how this works. The only team that's gone from where they are to winning the title, challenging for the title and winning European Cups in recent memory is us. And how did we do it? Bit by bit by bit, step by step by step. We didn't go out and try and make earth-shattering signings. The first summer, we brought in Matip, we brought in Wijnaldum, we brought in Mane. One in each line. The second summer, we went out and we brought in Robbo, we brought in Ox, and we brought in Salah. One in each line. Then we got our earth-shattering signing. We got Virgil. Then we got another one in Ali and Fab. And all of a sudden, our team had taken shape over three summer transfer windows. Not all at once. Not by overspending. Not by throwing money around haphazardly. Like, I'm not being funny, Carl. Anyone who, anyone who watches a decent amount of football could have done a better job running that club this summer because there were really good players out there who would have massively improved them, who could have played in the style of play Ten Hag wanted because Ten Hag had the second half of April and all of May to let the recruitment staff know, this is what I'm looking for, this is how I want to play, and these are the profiles of players that I want you to find me. That is my biggest, had, that's my biggest issue with it. There is yeah. no profile of player that they're looking for. This is the no. most stupid thing about it. None of the players that they're linked with or have really spoken to have been really aggressive about getting and have let the uh, you know the bids go public and all the rest of it. None of them match up. No, literally the them. only thing I spent quite a long while yesterday going over this in my head, trying to figure out what's going on here because literally it's gone. Obviously, Frankie De Jong, then to Rabiot, and now it's Casemiro. The only thing apart from obviously being nominally central midfielders, the only thing that they have completely in common is ball carrying. Now, three things about that. One, none of them carry it in the same area of the pitch. No. None of them. None of them start in the same area of the pitch to pick up possession to do the actual ball carrying or do the ball carrying in the same uh, phases of games. Like Casemiro, as a ball carrier, is utterly, utterly different to uh, Rabiot when he is going to dribble the ball yeah. and he's going to lift it upfield. And thirdly, is even this, the, the formation that you would use them in, the system and the type of player you would have alongside them when they're doing the ball carrying is not the same and are not at United. Yeah. None of this makes sense. But the thing is, right, Casemiro is the type of player, I don't know if you heard me say this yesterday, he's the type of player that if you're second... And you're looking for a top-level defensive midfielder to give you that push to go from second to first. Or you're third and fourth, and you're looking for that push to get into that first and second group. Then, Casemiro, as an instant impact player, into an already very good team, makes sense. But you're seventh or eighth or twentieth at the minute. He's not getting you into that first or second realm, not with this team around him. And by the time you put a team around him that's capable, he's going to be 33. And 
And then what? You're paying him 450 grand a week for another couple of years and he'll be the one who's letting you down? And the other factor of this is Real Madrid don't sell players who they think still have something left. Like they thought Cristiano was going to have a big drop off as an all round player. And they were right. They thought they'd gotten the very best out of Varane. And they were right. Like, the players, Sergio Ramos, they were willing to give him one year because he's a club legend. They didn't want to give him two years because they knew he was finished. And they were right. They don't let players go unless they believe those players are finished or simply not good enough for the level of the club. Like, they'd have kept Isco if they thought they could get any little bit out of him this season. Any little bit. But they knew they couldn't, so they got rid of him. They'd have kept Martin Odegaard if they thought he was good enough to play for Real Madrid in the long run. But they didn't. And they're right about these things. Real Madrid make pretty good decisions for a club that does always seem to be a little bit haphazard. But, you know, I look at Arsenal as well. And the reason I don't think this Arsenal rebuild is going to lead them anywhere close to a title challenge, outside of the fact I think the manager's not very good, is is the profiling of the, the targets they want. They spent six months trying to get Vlahovic. Now, Dusan Vlahovic is a six foot three centre forward who's a line leader, who's physical, who's aerially very, very strong. They didn't get him. They tried for Osimhen. They tried for uh, Isak. They tried for Darwin. And then they pivoted and went to Gabriel Jesus. Now, he's a good player, obviously, but he's not the type of player you wanted. They wanted Lisandro Martinez to come in and be a backup left-side centre-back and a backup left-back. They didn't get him. So they went for Zinchenko. Again, a good player, but a totally different profile of left-back than the player you wanted. That's why I think Arsenal will fall short. I think Arsenal have signed some good players, but they're not what they wanted in the first place. And that, to me, shows a club that doesn't really have a clear plan or doesn't have good people in good areas. You wouldn't see it at City. You wouldn't see it with us. What are we expecting... I was going so, to say, let's let's go for an expected United lineup here. Cause yeah, let's do an expected United lineup and get this wrapped up. Um, De Gea, I will will we'll have to start in goal because the other option is Tom Heaton. I mean, I mean that's problematic. Let me take a second here to just uh, acknowledge the most recent transfer rumor, which Guy has just posted in here for us. I've just had a quick look; it's on the mail. I'm not sure where it originated from. They they're stating it as if it's their own, so maybe it's a uh, you know. Another one which has been released to the, the media in general. Man United wants Azmir Begovic. Oh, Jesus Christ. They were looking at Jan Sommer yesterday, which is, who's at least a good goalkeeper. Just, again, completely at odds with how you'd want, you how the manager wants to play. Um, Azmir Begovic, Jesus Please let Christ. this happen. Please let this happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Three years, minimum. After, minimum. And you know what? They'd give it to him as well. If he went in and said, well, I want three years and a hundred grand a week, they'd be like, bargain. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. He um, has, after all, been on the books of AC Milan. 
AC Milan, Chelsea. I mean, the guy, he's played for the big clubs. Um, Christ. We'll use the term played uh, loosely, but yeah, go on. Yes, I mean, he's trained <laughs> at the big clubs. Um, we'll go... I assume he starts the low again at right back. Who you don't think it's going to be uh, ten million? Aaron Wan-Bissaka then. <laughs> if Palace get him back for ten million, uh, they'll be paying what he's actually kind of worth. Um, it's not their fault. United gave them f- like again, like the, this is the type of thing. Like you can imagine, a couple of years ago, Palace Dougie Friedman sitting around. You know, drinking a can of Iron Brew or whatever it is that Scottish people do during the day, eating eating some haggis, and the phone rings, and it's Woodward at Manchester United. Uh, we'd like to buy Aaron Wan Bissaka. Oh, would you? Yeah, no, he's had a very good season for us. You know, we're we're very happy with him. He's a young player from our academy. A very good season. Uh, Fifty million. And he, he says it, and everyone else in the room just sort of has to hold in laughter. And he gives them a big wink, like, you know, oh, I'm just taking the piss. They? They'll offer 20, we'll settle on 25, and it's a big win for us. And and Woodward says, yeah, absolutely, we'll pay 50 million. It, like, it, I, I just, it, the, the Maguire's the same thing. Like, there's so many of these deals that they've done where you just look at it and think, like, what was the mindset going in here? Like, how have you spent 50 million on Aaron Wan? How have you come out and said, you know, you've spent 50 million, which is bad enough, and then you've come out and said, we looked at 804 right-backs, and this is the guy we picked. First of all, no, you didn't, because there are not 804 footballers in the entire world who are good enough to play for Manchester United. There just isn't. There are not there are not anywhere close to 800 footballers in the world good enough to play for Manchester United. So if you've looked at that many players for one position, you're either A, wasting time, or B, lying about it. And also, if you have looked at any more than 50, again, you're wasting time. But if you've come out with him as the best option, what are you doing? Like, how, how is that? What's the process here? And then to, to decide, oh, yeah, we'll pay 50 million for him. It, everything about that deal is funny. Everything about the Maguire deal is funny. Anyway, before we get bogged down laughing at every deal, because um, we could laugh at, you could laugh at every one of them. Like, you could laugh at the fact that Maguire was 80. You could laugh at the fact that they thought signing Varane was going to win them the league. You could laugh at the fact that when Arsenal bid 30 million for Martinez, they were told, we want 35, and United paid 55 million for him. You can laugh at all of these things. But in defence, I'm expecting Delow on one side. I think he's going to start Malasia on the other side. Uh, Luke Shaw is among those I'd be trying to sell this summer if I was United just to clean house and get uh, big-waged players off the... Um, big wage, not big wasted. Big waged players off the uh, off the books. Who are you starting at centre back if you're Ten Hag? Because I think I'd go Varane and Martinez, considering there won't be a Darwin Nunes to absolutely annihilate Lisandro Martinez in the air. Yeah, I'm really disappointed about that. I was really looking forward to a, a Darwin Martinez. Face off. It wouldn't really be a face off, I suppose. It would be a, a chest to face off. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, it's a big loss for us, to be honest. Um, and Darwin against Maguire in a foot race would have been fun as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm still thinking that Diaz against Maguire turning him around in the opposite direction might be fun, to be honest. I think he's still going to start Maguire. Um, I think it'll be Maguire and Varane, or Maguire and Lindelof. I can't leave Varane out still, can he? It's got to be Varane and Maguire for me, I think. I, I, I think Malassi will start as well. I've not been impressed with him in the slightest at the moment. No. He's like a seven-year-old with a new toy at Christmas. Um, he, he, he's certainly enthusiastic, I'll give him that, and he's going to need that. We'll see how long that lasts, because United tend to you know, drain the hope and desire to live out of people quite quickly after they sign them. But at the minute, he is... Um, Reminds me of one of those little uh, puppies that sort of chase around. Yes, gets the, the zoomies. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, so th- there's not a lot of positional holding going on there. Let's say no, no. He, he, do you know, guy's not going to like this. Do you know who he reminds me of? Albi Moreno. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, I, I tell you what, I want to see is Salah on on the ball, and obviously, Mas is going to go out to him if he starts. It's the drop and. A little bit deeper, playing the short pass and immediately spinning him behind because all Malassi is going to do is go with him every single time and then not catch him on the turn. And yeah, obviously reverse pass from then either Elliot or uh, Trent if they're there, or a, you know, thirty yard chip out of play from Henderson if he's there. Then you know, <laughs> Salah will be straight onto it. Um. So, yeah. That's the that's the likely um, defense. I think I I just hope he plays Maguire on the right and Varane on the left again because it amuses me. You spent eighty million on the fella because he was a left sided centre back, but this genius thinks he's going to play him on the right. Um, midfield, then we can only hope he goes with Ericsson plus one of McTominay, Fred, or maybe Martinez in there. Wondering if it's going to be Martinez. It'd, it'd be some statement if, in the third game of the season, his his marquee signing that he wanted is dropped. Is there any possibility to change system here? Again, it's very early, but that was a big defeat. You need a they could go four three three. I, I do wonder could he go four three three and, as and play as and Fred then maybe. Something like that, yeah. You know, one of one of Bruno or Ericsson. Because you can Ericsson only really starts. play one of them. And I then Ericsson starts. Yeah, so do I. He just doesn't. He doesn't look right at all. Um, yeah, and play play Martinez plus one of the McFred combo. Uh, in attack, same, I'm same for me. guessing Rashford, Cristiano, and and, and Sancho. I mean, are we meant to be scared by this? It's just so, so mid-table. Now, they're good players individually, but it doesn't work with the midfield behind. It certainly doesn't work with the defence behind. And if he turns up and decides to play a high line against a front three that includes Salah and Diaz, they are going to get absolutely hammered. And he might be out of a job before the end of September, Carol. You reckon? If we hammer them, if we, let's, let, let me just have a look at who they're playing. So they play us, yeah, then they go to Southampton. They're not easy games at all. Then Palace away, and then Leeds at home. 
before City? Like, if we hammer them, I could see them losing the next two games away to Southampton and away to Leicester. Now, Leicester are a bit of a mess at the minute as well. But right now, you'd have to say Arsenal would beat them. Yeah. I don't see them going to Selhurst and getting a win. And then Leeds. Like, maybe they win one of the next, of the two after us, they beat one of Southampton or Leicester, and maybe they beat Leeds. But I still think they'll lose to us. They'll lose one of the other two, or, or draw it. They'll lose to Arsenal. I think they'll lose to Palace. And I think they will get annihilated by City. So you'd be talking about one, two, three, four, five, six, six defeats, two wins, and maybe a draw out of your first nine games. I don't know that there'll be much patience for that type of thing. I don't see what chance we've got. Pochettino, the fellow they've wanted all along. Dave, even if they got Guardiola, that doesn't fix what they are. I'm not saying it fixes anything, Carl. I'm trying to get myself inside the mind of people who don't know what they're doing. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it would be... I, I wouldn't sack him. You I wouldn't would... sack him. No, no, no I, sensible club would. Not just that. I think if they sack the person who they put quite a lot of emphasis on coming in to you know, be the big new generation mm. thing, I think it puts too much emphasis on them. I don't think that they'll want that at all. I mean, That's from the fair. outside, there's already emphasis on them, but they're obviously completely impervious to that or oblivious to it, one of the two. But if they start publicly announcing, effectively, if they sack him, that their own decisions are terrible, that puts the focus on them. And I, I don't. The way around it for the Glazers is if you sack, if you sack him, you also sack John Murtaugh, the, the yeah. direct, the football director. Probably Fletcher. and you get someone competent, and you you sack Darren Fletcher as well, and you just say he was their pick. We wanted Pochettino all along, but he wasn't available at the time, so we we went with this guy because we didn't know what was going to happen with Pochettino. But now Pochettino's available; he's who we wanted all along. And you try and spin it, and you know there'll be a couple of simpletons in the media that will help them spin that story. Like they will have a couple of local patch journalists who will gladly go to bat for them for an exclusive interview or something. So, uh, yeah, look, it, it's it's a very rough spot that they find themselves in. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they are still in the bottom three coming out the back of that City game. Or, or at least, you know, in that sort of area of the table. Uh, it does get a little bit easier that they get Everton. But then it's Newcastle, then it's Tottenham, and then it's Chelsea. Their October is horrible. They have City, Everton away, which is going to be Frank playing a back 10. Newcastle, who are playing good football. Tottenham, Chelsea, and then West Ham. And you know Moyes is going to come to town wanting to win. Because if if he can put his foot on the throat of a club that are in a mess, who, who wronged him, he will want to do that. This is looking really grim for them. Yeah, I mean, it, at some point, <laughs> you imagine, it has to click a bit better than it has done so far. But the problem is that you don't get very much time to change around in between games this season, especially at the start of the season. And there's a lot to fix at the minute, on and off the ball. Mm. And, you know, we, we, we've seen 
not under Klopp even, but I'm thinking even go back to Rodgers when you're trying to put in a completely different style at the beginning and it doesn't go too well. We had quite a lot of patience, I think, at that time because I think it was, you know, it's very evident even in the opening game when we were absolutely spanked. Was it West Brom? We lost 3-0 mm. or something too on the opening day. And Agar got sent off. Yeah, and it was like a, a horrendous game. But even so, we were very, very patient as a general group of supporters in terms of those inside the stadium and that. So they're going to have to rely on that happening. But they were booed off at halftime and full-time yeah. in their first home game. That's that's, yeah. that's 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 a bit of a worry, I think. It is. And, like, if you think about it, there's, there's some similarities between Rodgers and Ten Hag in terms of the footballing philosophy. But Rodgers was on his way to the sack with his footballing philosophy and only saved himself by completely changing tact when Coutinho and Sturridge arrived and he just said, fuck it, we're going to just play through Suarez and we're going to go all out. They don't have a Luis Suarez here to save him. Now maybe they can, maybe they can get Bruno back to the Bruno of his first 18 months there, his last 30 months at uh, sporting and maybe they can make it work that way. But this is grim. This is grim. And after that West Ham game, by the way, they've got Villa away, then Fulham at home, and then it's the World Cup break. So then they don't play for six weeks. And it'll be interesting to see what happens then. I, I think that period of time, there will be a number of managerial changes in the Premier League. I think clubs will hold out till then. But he has got to get points from somewhere. And I don't really see where they're going to come from. I think it's a mess. What is your prediction for this game? Last few times I've been big on predictions. have not gone too well, have they? No, and I'm exactly the same. I'm exactly the same, because I, I think we, you said 5-0 against Fulham, and I said yeah. 6, or something like that. <laughs> <Whoops>. <laughs> um, our fault, our fault. 2-0. I think Liverpool are going to play 4 or 5 nil better than Man United, but our attacking options are pretty limited at the minute. Mm. But they are the biggest mess. Yeah. Yeah, three nil. I'm going to go three nil. I'm going to hedge my bets. I, I'm going to go nil. Yeah, see, mine does as well. Mine says, you know, like eleven nil. Salah hat trick. Diaz hat trick. Uh, all of the defenders scoring. Oh, but I'm going to go. Goal. Gomez rattles one in from forty yards in the ninety sixth minute. And doesn't even celebrate because they're just so pitiful. <laughs> he doesn't feel like it counts as a real goal. Um, I'm going to go 1-0. I'm going to go 1-0. Because the last two times I've gone really emphatic on Liverpool victories was Fulham. And if you remember last season when we played Leicester away <laughs> and they were missing everybody and I said we'd hammer them. On multiple podcasts, I said we'd hammer them, and uh, we didn't. We lost. I'm going to say 1-0 with a scrappy goal in off the knee of Andy Robertson. That's what I'm going to say. 
and I'm going to hope... I take it. As long as it's a good performance as well, I'd take yeah, it. Yeah, that's the thing. Do you know what? I don't even care. I just want to win. We just need to get a win. We need to get three points on the board. Um, I, I don't even care. And it just it would be glorious to to leave them bottom of the league. Uh, I, I wonder, will we get a rendition of Eric's at the wheel this weekend? Um, <laughs> should we slap them? I mean, look, last season we embarrassed them there. We embarrassed them at Anfield. They're worse. Now, we're in a bit of a weird position, but I don't think we're all that much worse than we were last season when we went there. So I, I think we'll win. I'm just going to go for the, the nice safe 1-0. A fourth-minute Andy Robertson goal, and then it just plays out the way it plays out. Really uh, and that's it. Really, yes. really quickly. Uh, Everton going to get a point or anything out of Nottingham Forest. They're at home. I think they probably will. I could see it being quite a stale draw. And what about West Ham um, at home to Brighton? They need a point. The David Moyes treble in the bottom three is, is quite the <laughs> thing, isn't it? All we need now is, is Sunderland to pop up and uh, and be fourth from bottom. And, and I mean, Southampton wear red and white. It's the same colours as, as Sunderland. So, yeah, it's a very Moysey bottom of the league. I think... Brighton looked pretty good this season, but I think I'll back West Ham to win that one. I think a very stale, low-scoring draw in the Everton-Forest um, game. I think Forest will be happy with a point, okay. and I think Frank Frank will be thrilled with a point because uh, it hasn't gone well for him either so far this season. Well, if they are the results, then any kind of United defeat will indeed leave them bottom. I was looking at perhaps yeah. goal difference there if we're only taking a 1 0, but that's fine. Yeah. Ah, well, you never know. We, we might even get. If things go well, United could find themselves with a, a double figures negative goal differential after three games, okay. um, which would be quite the thing. Uh, also, if they don't score on Monday and then they don't score against Southampton, their goal of the month is going to be an own goal by Alexis McAllister, which would also be quite funny. Mm. Have you got anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, I will have a couple of bits. Um, my European stuff is back from this weekend onwards. I will have a preview from... I've completely forgotten which game I'm doing the preview for. One of the Premier League matches. And uh, I may also have a Barcelona piece out this week, towards the end of the week. Cool. Well, keep an eye on Carl's Twitter, at Carl Matchett. Read his work on The Independent, and occasionally on This Is Anfield. You had a piece on This Is Anfield there the other day, which I thought was quite good. Uh, nice to see you, you know, allowing the little people to read your work, not just those independent readers. Um, a paywall has me. As I said, as I said, he's spending too much time with Delaney. Uh, Irish people are are notably late for most things, as <laughs> anyone who's ever done anything with me will know. Uh, so that's just what's happened. That Carol Delaney is the chief football writer, and that's just filtered down to the rest of the staff. All of them late for everything. Uh, we will be back next week with at least one, probably two shows. So until then, we'll see you next time. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. 
there's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.